Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. All right. All right. Are you guys ready for tonight? D's ready. Anybody else ready? Okay, good. All right. Well, we are actually, like Candace said, we're starting a new series tonight. And the title of this series is Strong Faith, Contagious Hope, and Enduring Love. Strong Faith, Contagious Hope, and Enduring Love. Over the next three months, there will be six specific Sundays that we will be talking about this. And I would highly encourage you to come prepared to write down notes, to to change, and to learn something to help us to become a people, to be strong in our faith, to have a hope that is just contagious. How many believe the world today needs people that have genuine hope? And then enduring love, like a love that surpasses all understanding and it can stand the test of time and it can stand all the dynamics of what it means to be human in this world. So we're very excited about this series. Tonight we're actually going to be kicking off our first night on called Identity. There's an actual title. I don't want to give it away just yet. I'll share it in a little bit here. But we're going to be also, everything we talk about on these Sundays will actually be in our studio homes. And we don't want to just go home by ourselves or maybe just in our private life. But we actually want to see that implemented and carry out in our studio home. So if you haven't signed up for a studio home, which are just announced, I'd encourage you to do that. Because we're going to be taking each of these six Sundays in the next three months. And it's going to be curriculum, basically, in each of our homes to go deeper into some of the talks that we're going after. We have no interest in just having a great talk on a Sunday and not actually carrying it out and being discipled throughout the week. And so we're very much looking forward to this. So tonight, we're going to talk about identity. Identity is defined as a noun. It is the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Identity is a really a dynamic word. It, it has many layers and dimensions to it. When you go to the airport and when you get to the, the ticket counter and you're checking in, they, they want, ask for your ID. And they want the ID, and it can't just be an ID with a word on it. It's got to have a photo on it so they can confirm that it's you. And when you go into the, the security line, you usually have your driver's license or your passport. And when you hand that over, you're basically saying, this is my identity. You can now confirm that this is Eric Johnson. So every time I get in that line, I say, that is me. I am Eric Johnson. That ID you have, that is actually me. TSA Pre, if you know what that is, it's kind of the shorter line, but everybody does TSA Pre now. And so whenever that line is too long, I skip and I go over to a service called Clear. And clearly, you basically walk up to this camera and it scans your retina. And then my face shows up and it says, are you Eric Johnson? And I go, yes, I am Eric Johnson. And then they put me to the front of the line and people give you the stink eye. And I don't care because I don't have to wait any longer. I just love the speed. I, lined, I have an issue with lines. Uh, anybody have issues with lines? 
Like, I'd rather be moving and go the long route than going the short route and waiting in line. I, I just don't like it. I want to be moving. And so, but identity, we can watch, you can listen to music. And maybe it's a song you never heard, but by the tone of the voice, by the nuance of the arrangement of sound, you go, oh, that's so-and-so. We're able to identify expressions of creativity and art by the artist, by the sound. You watch the movies, you may have forgot to see who directed it or who produced it, but you can see the camera angles, the storylines, oh, so-and-so made this film. We're able to identify different pieces of art. We're identified as we go through security lines. Identity is a very fascinating thing. And our inboxes, our phones are full of text messages and emails trying to solicit information from you in the forms of scams and phishing. Because they're trying to get something from you to get access to your identity. Identity theft is one of the biggest crimes today. They say in a couple of years, the last few years, the identity theft percentages have grown by over 600% of year upon year upon year. So let's ask the question, why is stealing your identity a big deal? Because your identity is lucrative. It's valuable. It has essence to it. This is why people will do all kinds of scams and phishing to get your identity from you. So this idea of identity is a really important conversation. But way before identity theft was taking place in modern times, the enemy had been trying to take your identity from the beginning of mankind. To understand that you are sitting here tonight and there's an identity that specifically is yours and the enemy is doing whatever he can to get you derailed from the pure identity that God has designed you to be. The fact that you ask this question, who am I? What am I? What is my purpose? What is my destiny? The fact that your soul is wrestling with those questions, it's evident that you have an identity that your soul needs an identity to attach itself to. It needs definition. It needs defining. It needs substance. When you find a person that is living from their identity, it's a powerful thing. I want you to think right now of someone in your life or someone that you at least know who it is, that you say, that person right there feels like they're living from their identity. That's a powerful person. And for most of us, that's someone you aspire and that's someone that you admire. Why? Because they have found who they are, what they are, and they're able to live from that place. And we all know what it's like to see someone that is not living from their identity. It's tragic. And the last thing I would want for each of us is to not live from our identity. Psychology today said that identity encompasses memories, experiences, relationships, and values that create one sense of self. The amalgamation creates a steady sense of who one is over time, even as new facets are developed and incorporated into one's identity. I believe there's truth in this, but it still doesn't answer the question of what identity is. So in that case, we need to ask deeper questions. There's three questions I want you to ask with me. Where and when does identity start? Where and when does identity start? Who should 
and determine your identity. Who should and determine your identity? Last question, where should our identity begin? There's an American sociologist, he was a cultural critic. He passed away about, I think, 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. His name is Philip Rafe. And he has a framework that I want to share with you. I've shared it before in months past that I have found to be very helpful in general. But for tonight's conversation, I think it'll be helpful to understand. He uses a framework. Some of you have heard the term, but you've heard it more in a socioeconomic sense. You've heard of third world, first world, or second world. They have nothing to do with developing countries or countries. It has to do with worldviews. The first world in this framework is actually a pagan worldview. And a pagan worldview revolves around this idea that something transcendent, something outside of human self. And pagan didn't have one God. They had multiple gods, multiple beings, or multiple spirits. There wasn't one unified. It was multiple. You go into different cultures around the world, and some cultures have thousands of gods that they worship. Anything can be a God, and then you step into the Christian faith, there's one God. So the first world is defined by what's called a pagan worldview. And oftentimes, some cultures in pagan worldviews would have like an oracle. And an oracle would be someone that would hear from something outside of self, something transcendent. And the oracle would hear, that, and the oracle would go to the people or the community and say, I have heard this. And whatever was shared will become the governance, be how they governed and led and shaped the moral and ethics of society in a pagan culture. So that's first world. Second world is a Christian worldview. And the whole idea revolves around this. There's one God. There's one spirit. Everything in our life revolves around that. And this one God, the Christian God, is the God that governs us, defines us, Let us know what our morals and our ethics and our practices should be. And this is where the Bible, the Western context, had been largely shaped by the Christian worldview. The value, when you go to court and you stand in court, you put your hand on a Bible. So the West had actually been shaped largely by a Christian worldview. So that's the second world. The third world is on rather new, roughly 500, maybe 600 years old, and it's called a secular worldview. This is a worldview that has nothing transcendent. There are no God, there are no spirit, there are no being, there's nothing outside of human self. So these are three very different worlds, a pagan worldview, a Christian worldview, and a secular worldview. You might be asking, why am I telling you this? Because as part of a Christian worldview, if you are following Jesus in this room, you are not somebody that thinks there are many gods, there's only one God. And you're not in this room thinking, if you follow Jesus, you're not thinking, there is no God, I get to define everything. The challenge we have, we live in a world now where all three are at play. It's much easier to interact with someone in a pagan worldview because they at least believe something spiritual. But when you talk to someone in a secular worldview, there is nothing spiritual. And we're using language trying to tell them about something spiritual and it doesn't resonate. I'm totally off track, but someday I want to actually talk about that. That's for another time. So the biblical perspective on the origin of your identity 
is the creator, God himself. That is where your identity starts, is there. It's not you figuring out. It's actually coming from the creator himself. The byproduct of a secular worldview is you are left to search within yourself to figure out your identity. And with the absence of the spirit of God, you will find yourself on a good day going, my dreams and my aspirations are my identity. And on a bad day, you will be in the gutter of shame and guilt. And the challenge when a secular worldview gives you your identity, you'll find out that when you accomplish all your dream and all your aspirations, you will stand there and you will think to yourself, I still feel empty. I still feel like something's missing. Why? Because your identity isn't in what you do. It's in who you are. And one of the challenges we have as Jesus followers in the secular world right now is we've made dreams and goals and aspirations our identity. We said, this is who I am. This is what I'm called to do. Now, you actually have dreams and aspirations, but that's not your identity. That's the byproduct of your identity. And when you flip that around, you will live your life chasing after something that will never fulfill you. So as Jesus followers, the origins of your identity can only be found in the creator God himself. Thank you. Somebody got it. I appreciate that. So understanding your identity of God starts with understanding who he is, what he said about himself, and what he says about you. I'm going to read you a verse, but write it down. Genesis 1 verse 27. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. When you talk about identity, the core theological thing you need to come to is the image of God. In ancient Greek, it was pronounced imago Dei. And the idea was that the image of God has been placed in you and on you. There's actually a really fascinating passage in Mark, in the gospel, where they some, some come to Jesus and they ask Jesus, who do we pay, do we pay Caesar his taxes? And Jesus gives this answer that's incredibly profound. And Jesus said, give to Caesars what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And I love that because Jesus doesn't really answer the question. Do we pay taxes to Caesar? He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God. Don't you love Jesus? He doesn't really actually answer most questions, but he gets you to think. That's what I love about Jesus. He's more getting you to actually think than he is to give you the answer. So in this moment, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God. What is he saying? He try, they're asking a tax question and he is answering an existential question question. So while they're trying to figure out how to pay taxes, he's telling them the answer to all existential questions ever known to man in answering a tax question. This is when you know Jesus is on another dimension of thinking. And he said, that coin you have in your hand has the face and the profile of Caesar. It's stamped right on the coin. That's not God. That's Caesar. Give that to Caesar. But he says, you have the image of God stamped on your soul. 
Your entire being is not yours. It's not Caesar. It is God's. So you give what to Caesar, Caesar, and you give what to God, it's God's. And that is your entire essence and being is that. So your whole life, your whole essence, every fiber of your being is not yours. Nothing is yours. It is all his. Why? Because he's the one that identifies you. He's the one that gives you purpose. He's the one that shapes you, informs you. It is there we begin to know who we are. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. It is crucial that we grasp that sin altered our ability to know what our identity is. We have to pay some level of respect to this reality that we live in a broken world and sin actually affects our perception, our ability to hear from God, and our ability to fully understand who we are in Christ. There's a phrase I'm going to read to you. I want you to write this down. This is the really simple baseline of what your identity is. You are loved. You are chosen. You are forgiven. You are redeemed and you are adopted. I'll read it again. You are loved. You are chosen. You are forgiven. You are redeemed and you are adopted. Just take a moment right now and I want you to ask yourself, which one of those words is the hardest one to receive right now? You are loved. You are chosen. You are forgiven you're redeemed, or you are adopted. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 19, he says, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. In Ephesians 2.10, it reads this, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now I want you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Go to Numbers chapter 13. Get your apps open or your Bibles. And we're going to go to a story. We're going to, I'm not going to do it justice because, simply because of time. There's actually one verse that I want to read in here. But the context of this chapter, the nation of Israel had exited Egypt. And now they're in the wilderness. And if you're familiar with the story or not familiar, they left Egypt because of a promise a piece of land that was quite large inside that size that was called the promised land. And the nation of Israel left Egypt and they're on the way to this promised land. And on the way, they are now at the threshold. They're at the beginning of the land that is promised to them. And the beginning of Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, it says this, Moses sent out spies into the promised land. He sent out 12 spies. Why? Because there's 12 tribes of Israel. He took one spy from each tribe and sent them into the land. And he said, go spy it out, bring back a report. So as you read this chapter, you get into the chapter and all of a sudden these guys come back after a length of time. They come back and they say, Moses, everything that God said is there. It's a land flowing of milk and honey. It's got pomegranate, grapes, and figs. They begin to describe in detail what they thought was a, a fantasy actually becomes a reality. 
But then they add something towards the end of this chapter, and it says this, but there are other people there. In other words, it's not vacant. And they begin to describe these people, and we're going to pick up in verse 33 of chapter 13. I want you to read this with me. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, at the beginning of that verse, it said, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendant of Anak. What's important to understand here, this is where the legend and the myth of giants came from. When you're familiar with David and Goliath, many believe Goliath came from this people group, Nephilim and the descendants of Anak. In legends, they were incredibly tall in stature, abnormally large human beings. Some say potentially nine feet tall. So they approached this promised land that they, in their mind, I'm almost positive they thought no one lived there. So when they came back at the report and they find out, oh no, the giants live there. Now when you stand before someone bigger than you, you obviously are smaller. So when they said we were like grasshoppers in their sight, they ain't lying. That's true. They were small. The challenge is we look like grasshoppers in our own sight. You see, your perception of self will determine do you go into promises or do you go back to the wilderness? And in this moment, two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can still take the land. The other ten spies said, no, we can't. Because we're grasshoppers, we're too small, it's impossible. And because of that, the nation latched on to the negative report. And God said, fine, none of you will ever go into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. So 40 years goes by. Imagine being Joshua and Caleb. Guys, if you were to just listen to us for a second, we wouldn't be wandering the wilderness. I wonder how many seasons of wilderness are self-inflicted. You need to hear me on this. I wonder how many times we're in the wilderness and we blame everybody, everything except ourselves. That it was self-inflicted because we did not live from our identity. We let something out here determine who we are. We let self-perception destroy the core and the essence of who you are when you follow God. So how many wilderness seasons in our life have been because of our own perception of self? So many years later, all the 10 spies and all of that generation died and Moses eventually passed and God showed up to Joshua and says, all right, you're my guy. We're going now. Joshua's like, it's about time. I've been waiting for this day a long time. And what I love, one of the first epic battles was the battle of Jericho. When they marched around the city, God said, I want you to march around the city for seven days. And on the seventh day, do it seven times and then blow the trumpets and lift up a shout. But I love what actually happens. Joshua goes to the people and says, none of you are allowed to talk. Why? Because last time you opened your mouth, we went into the wilderness. One of the best things you can do about your identity is to keep your mouth shut. Are you guys with me tonight? You keep your mouth shut because when you put it on your mouth, when you put it into the atmosphere, guess what happened? You create that environment. That's right. 
And some of it are creating these environments. And we're delaying promises. We're delaying what God has actually already designed for us. The entirety of creation leaned towards you. Do you know why creation groans? Could God designed it to lean towards you? It's in your favor. But when you begin to shape a world that's rooted in an identity of self, guess what happened? It seemed to delay these promises. So Joshua's like, all y'all aren't talking. No voice, no sound, nothing. Because the last time we opened our mouths, we went to the wilderness for 40 years. So they listened. They listened real well. And those were the children of the descendants that couldn't keep their mouth shut. So they marched around the city, and the story ended with a great victory. So what's my point of this? Your self-perception, how you view yourself, can determine if you're ready for the promises of God or if you need a season in the wilderness to get that stripped off of you. There is a direct connection to how you view yourself and how you are in this world. Your identity based on what you think will hinder you from moving into the future you are designed for. Your identity based on what God says you are will move you into the future and the promises of God. There are two prominent ways identity theft can take place in your life. Write this down. Sin and false beliefs. Sin and false belief. Those two are some of the prominent ways identity theft takes place in your life. When you allow sin to come in, you now introduce yourself to shame and guilt and blame. And we all know what it's like to live in shame and guilt and what that does to us. And if we don't let forgiveness and redemption come in, our identity will remain in the hand of a thief than in your own hands. The second one is this, false beliefs. I, I have this suspicion that the enemy is actually not attacking us as much as we think he is. I actually had this deep conviction. I'm being a little bit lighthearted at the moment, but if you really cut me open, I would say I have an incredibly deep conviction. All the enemy has to do is put a thought into your mind and leave you alone because we usually take it from there. We think, man, the devil's attacking me every day. No, he attacked you 10 years ago. He left you alone. He hasn't talked to you since. You've just been busy ruminating and, rem and marinating in that thought ever since then. In fact, you built an entire belief system around that one thought. So most of the spiritual battlefield is not in this spiritual realm. It's actually in the gray matter between your ears. There are beliefs that you are believing in your life right now that are so far from the truth, but you blame the enemy all these years for messing with you when all he did is mess with you once. And all you've done is entertained it all this time. So false beliefs, that is in the battle of the mind. So those are two prominent ways identity theft can take place. Now let's talk about how do we restore our identities. The title of tonight's talk is this, Identity Theft versus Identity Restoration. There's three ways you can begin to see your identity restored back in your life. The first one is this, repent. There's just no other way around it. 
The word repentant actually means to agree with God. It actually means to take what you agree and what God says and compare the two. I'm going to agree with what God says. Other definitions are, it means to turn about faith. I'm going in this direction, and now I'm going to go in this direction. Repentant is not just a mere sentence structure saying, I'm sorry. And for some, we've said, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But we're still going in the same direction. We still are agreeing with whatever it is we're agreeing with. We've not actually made the adjustment necessary to agree with God, what God has said. So the first step to see identity restored back in your life is repent. Second one is this, changing your mind. Changing the way you think. Now, how many have noticed changing the way you think is a lot harder than you think it is? It's much easier said than done. But if you are disciplined and you commit yourself to new practices and new habits of reshaping your thinking and you invite the Holy Spirit into that space, over a period of time, those thoughts... Those false beliefs become a thing of the path and you begin to move into a new space of what God says about you. So first step, repent. Second step, change your mind. Let God change your thoughts. Last but not leastly is this, ask for help. I'm shocked at how many people are trying to figure this out by themselves. One of the significant reasons why we emphasize community around studio, not just because we just want to, let's just do community. There's a beautiful, fun, social aspect to that. But one thing Candace and I and the team and many of you understand is this. You shouldn't and you can't do life alone. And when we're in stuck places, there's such a motivation to get isolated. There's such a motivation to withdraw and say, I'm just going to figure it out so I can come back in better shape. And what we find mostly, isolation leads you down a road that actually moves you farther and farther away from health. So for some of you, like, man, I've been repenting. I've been trying to change my thought, but maybe it's time to go, I need help. I need to actually open up my soul to someone else. I actually need to bear open my heart and say, these are the thoughts that I wrestle with all the time. For some of you, once it comes out of your mouth, you're going to be so embarrassed that you actually believe it. It's amazing what happens when you tell someone else, I know this is going to sound crazy to you, but when, this is what I actually think of myself. When it comes out, you're like, I can't even believe I've been living under that for five years, 10 years, 20 years, my entire life. My mom told me this when I was little, and I haven't been able to shake it. My dad said this to me when I was little, and I haven't been able to shake it. Something happened when you open up your heart and you become vulnerable with another human being. Something happens in that moment. Now you have accountability. Now you have someone that had permission to check up on you. So three steps to see your identity restored is repent, change your mind, and ask for help. Why don't we stand? Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com, and you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.